looking at the teachings of Jesus. And uh, last week we began by looking sort of a, an introduction overview, and I'm going to give you the 15-second second, second version if you weren't here. Um, the material that is in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 uh, looks to be a collection of teachings that Jesus probably gave in many places, many times, in many situations. Um, it is organized by Matthew, who writes in Greek, is what's known in the Greco-Roman world as an epitome. And an epitome was an established literary s form, just like a, a mystery novel or a science fiction novel or anything like that. The idea was an epitome is a summary and sort of the best example you could get of the teachings of a master. And so what Matthew has done is to organize that material for us and to bring it together uh, and give us uh, material that probably Jesus delivered many, many times. Um, we know that the material actually predates Matthew uh, because it's among the material that, that belongs to a, a, a hypothetical document called Q, which is to say that we know that there's some material that is in Luke and it's in Matthew and it's word for word identical in Greek for entire stories and par entire paragraphs. And so we have very similar material in, uh, in Luke. So the idea was that uh, there was some kind of a source very, very early. We've never found it, but Matthew had access to it. Luke had access to it, which means, luckily for us, that we actually have uh, the material in two places. We have it in Luke and we have it in Matthew. Actually, we have it in three places. Um, and that this is the best way we can account for the fact that we have Matthew saying this material took place on the mountain and Luke saying it took place on the plain. The setting is the author. The material would be going back to Jesus. Our four sources are Matthew, Luke, Mark, and Thomas, who has five Beatitudes. Luke has four. Matthew has eight. And who was sharing with me? There's four other. Yes, there's four other uh, Beatitudes that are not organized with these that we might, we might want to throw those in before the end of the, the this, seri this series. Um, so the material in the Sermon on the Mount is from Jesus. The setting is Matthew's. And Matthew really does think of Jesus as the new Moses, the new lawgiver. Uh, Moses went up the mountain to give the law. Jesus goes up the mountain to give the law. Um, so today, we want to begin the journey in the Sermon on the Mount itself. We want to begin where the Sermon on the Mount actually itself begins with what are uh, known, have become known as the Beatitudes, a series of statements. Uh, and they're important enough that we want to spend two weeks on them. So this week, what we want to do is to look at them as a whole, as a collection, kind of how they function within the Sermon on the Mount, but also how they relate to the other teaching of Jesus. I think one of the things we'll, we'll know when we get done is uh, the Beatitudes are not coincidental or accidental. They strike at the very heart of the teaching that Jesus gives, which in turn strikes at the very heart of a passage from Isaiah which is the passage that Jesus uses to identify himself with. Um, next week, we can take a look at the individual Beatitudes and more their meaning. So today, it's the big picture. Uh, 5, 6, and 7, Sermon on the Mount. It's got a clear introduction. It's got a body, and it's got a clear summary at the end. The Beatitudes are going to be sort of the introduction, uh, the message in brief. Um, now, that's how they function Matthew. In the ministry of Jesus... The Beatitudes that are gathered in the mountain in Matthew and the plain in Luke and in uh, Thomas, they're kind of scattered out. Uh, they're even more important. Uh, they are among the most radical words in the New Testament. Um, 
We don't normally think of that when we think of the Beatitudes. But you say statements like, blessed are the poor. Remember uh, Tevye and Fiddler on the Roof? Not such a blessing. <laughs> you know, they're, they're shocking in their context. They're shocking. They're counterintuitive. They're turning the world on its head, which Jesus does that a lot. They give us some of the core values of the kingdom. And very quickly, we see the core values of the kingdom are not the values of the world as you and I would normally live in it. Uh, and they also announce that what Jesus is doing. Uh, so they're a wonderful way of entering into this. They announce nothing less than that the kingdom of God is breaking in now. In the ministry of Jesus, in his teaching, as he moves around, as he teaches, as he does activities, as he heals, the kingdom of God is being manifested. It's coming. It's not a future thing. There's a future element, but, it's, but it's, there's a very much of a present element in his ministry. Uh, we see that in other teachings, too. So we begin with Matthew's version, then we'll look at Luke, and then we'll look at Thomas. Jesus saw the crowds. He went up a mountain, and after uh, he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now, you know there's not a flat inch anywhere in Galilee, and so when Jesus was teaching, probably this idea of Jesus going up on a mountain teaching is something he did a lot. Lots of natural little amphitheaters that you can do and be heard. Sound travels very well. Um, it is interesting that uh, he's in Matthew, he sees the crowds, starts to respond, but then calls the disciples. And some of the material in the Sermon on the Mount does look like it's geared to disciples, some of the Beatitudes, and some of the material looks like it's geared more at ordinary people that's been collected. Then he began to speak, and he taught them saying. And then we begin to roll with these eight collected Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now that is an interesting statement. If you're poor in spirit, you have the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn. Again, this is, these are not people that we would normally think of as being blessed. They will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Now, in the real world, we think of the meek as speed bumps, right? They just get run over all the time. It's just the nature of the society. But blessed are the meek. They will inherit the earth. Haven't seen that yet, have you? <laughs> Blessed are those who hunger and who thirst. And Matthew adds, for righteousness, they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, one of the very popular ones, uh, beloved. They will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted. It's not normally a group we think of as being blessed. Persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These eight begin with a statement, blessed are, you will receive the kingdom, and it ends in balance with one, blessed are, you will receive the kingdom. Blessed are you when people revile you, persecute you, utter kinds of, all kinds of evil against you, falsely, on my account. This one clearly being framed for disciples, people who are following Jesus. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So we're introducing a present quality and we're introducing a future quality. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, if you do any reading in Jesus studies, you know there's a lot of argument about 
what material in the Bible really goes back to the authentic historical Jesus? Pretty broad uh, agreement that not everything that Jesus said necessarily would go back to him. John's material looks like it's been, been reworked and stuff. But I will tell you that, there, that even the people who are the most conservative on this, the most radical, who would put the smallest pile into the authentic Jesus material, the one thing that always consistently lands in that pile is this, the Beatitudes. These seem to be as authentic as you're ever going to get. They, they trace back to Jesus for a variety of reasons, and we'll look at those reasons. Uh, today, they survive in three versions. We have the Sermon on the Mount, which we look, just looked at. We have two others. Uh, we've talked about them. We have the Sermon on the Plain, found in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and it's a little shorter. That's Matthew's version. It's, it's different some other ways, too. Uh, we have a version found outside the Bible that we did not really know until about 50 years ago. And that is when the Nag Hammadi, they dug up what are called the Gnostic Gospels. And one of the things they found was a complete gospel in the name of the disciple Thomas. It is not a Gnostic, Gnostic Gospel. And it's the only document that scholars think is probably a document that has authentic Jesus material in it other than the four Gospels in the New Testament. <coughs> so it's a very valuable document to look at from time to time. And Thomas, the Beatitudes are not, actually two of the four are collected, two of the five, but the others are kind of spread around, so there's not really a collection. Uh, Thomas never gives us any narrative. There's never any uh, Jesus is on a mountain, Jesus is on a plain, there's no crucifixion story, there's no resurrection. Thomas is just Jesus said, Jesus said, Jesus said, Jesus said. It's a, it's a sayings gospel. So those are kind of scattered out. And Ma like Matthew, Luke did gather them together in a collection. Uh, it is briefer. Uh, there's only four attitudes instead of the nine. And they're in a slightly different form. Uh, Luke balances also the Beatitudes with a series of woes. He very carefully balances these. Uh, as you, if you know the Old Testament, you know that both uh, Beatitudes and woes are traditional Jewish statements. We have throughout the Old Testament, we'll look at a couple of them, uh, Beatitudes. Uh, Jesus did not create the genre. It was there for centuries. But we also have the woes. You ever read Amos? Woe unto you. You know, uh, Amos loved woes. Uh, many scholars believe that Luke's version may be closer to what Jesus actually said. You got two versions actually uh, now why would scholars think that Luke's maybe is more uh, uh, might go back more to Jesus well for one Matthew tends to spiritualize some of them some of them two in particular uh, Matthew will say poor in spirit and Matthew will say hunger and thirst for righteousness now when we get to Luke and Thomas you can strike the in spirit and you can strike in righteousness it's literal poverty and it's literal hunger and thirst. Uh, in Luke, the Beatitudes are consistently literal. And so here they are. He looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. No spiritualization, no psychology at all. We're talking about literally being poor. And again, same message. You have the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now. Not hungering for righteousness, you have that feeling in your stomach. You will be filled, filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, revile you, defame you on account of the Son of Man. Now, what's interesting about this is Son of Man is a, is a uh, address that Jesus used for himself. The Son of Man this, the Son of Man that. So 
Again, uh, an early indication that this goes way back. Now, one of the reasons the scholars believe that Luke's are probably more original is that they actually match the ones in Thomas. Not identically. It doesn't look like one copied the other. There are some people who say, well, maybe if Thomas was later, he could have had a copy of Luke and he could have copied uh, some of Luke's. That, that might be possible, but it doesn't look like it because they they're not identical. So Thomas 54 says this. Jesus said, blessed are the poor, for to you belongs the kingdom of heaven. Not identical, but clearly closer to what Luke says than Matthew. Thomas 69, blessed for those who are hungry, for the belly of him who desires will be filled. Again, clearly closer to Luke, but it's not identical. Thomas 68, Jesus said, blessed are you when you are hated and persecuted, and no place will be found whether you have been persecuted. Now, I read about six commentaries. Here's the consensus. Nobody knows what that last paragraph means. The manuscript is either corrupted along the way somewhere or it was an inside joke that nobody got, you know. So we'll just stick with blessed are you when you are hated and persecuted. 69, okay, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Remember the leap of joy? Book of Acts, it goes back to Isaiah. When the kingdom of co comes, those who are lame will leap for joy. Uh, another Isaiah reference. Surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. Now, of the three sources, only Matthew spiritualizes, and he only does it in two. So the thought is, this looks like it may be more uh, Matthew adapting these for his, his congregation. Luke balances them. He's going to add a number of woes. Um, so let's look at those real quick. Woe to you who are rich. This is why we like Matthew better, right? <laughs> Luke just quit preaching and went to meddling, you know. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation already, past tense. You know. Woe to you who are full, for you will go hungry. It's this reversal that we see in the teaching of Jesus, but it's the opposite this time. It's coming at it from the other direction. Woe to you who are laughing now. You will mourn and you will weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you. For that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. Again, we have a reference to, to the prophets. Now, several things stand out in Luke's version, in addition to it being shorter and less spiritualized. As a matter of fact, zero spiritualization. Uh, there's also a difference in how they're used. I, if you noticed in Matthew when you read it, Matthew's Beatitudes are clearly uh, framed in such a way that they're rewards. You know, you have this experience now, but if you hang in there, God will reward you for what happens. So you have statements like, for your reward in heaven is great. So the Beatitudes are seen, uh, the, the blessings are seen as rewards that you will get. In Matthew, all the blessings are in the future tense except one. It is also the only blessing that's repeated twice. There is the kingdom of God. The rest seem to be kind of future oriented. And in Matthew, Jesus announces the gift of kingdom is now and that there are other blessings later in heaven. Uh, Luke, both the Beatitudes and the Woes are not future. And uh, in, in Luke, it's pretty clear that what Luke is saying, or what Jesus is saying in Luke, <laughs> is that this is things, these are things that are happening now, in the moment. Uh, you are blessed, you are woed right now, you shall, uh, the language of that. Now, in addition to the Woes, and along with their reversal values, uh, this kind of gives Luke's a little bit of an edginess. When, when, when Matthew psychologizes it, it kind of softens it a little bit. You know. 
hunger for righteousness. You take the righteousness off, blessed for you when you're hungry, it just puts a little bit more of an edge on it. One that would have very much appeal to the, the people that Jesus spoke to. Reversal values, we find woes and in Luke's attitudes. Uh, this is consistent with other teaching by Jesus. You remember places where Jesus said things like, the first shall be last, the last shall be first? Uh, you remember the statement, whoever would be great among you must be your servant? This is called value rever reversal. And this is, a, this is indicative of the teaching of Jesus. This is indicative of the Beatitudes. What are the Beatitudes? Well, essentially, they're saying things are going to flop. And those who've got the short end of the stick will get the long end of the stick. And the woes do the same message, kind of reverse it again the other direction. There's still another reason why scholars believe Luke preserves an earlier form uh, and that Matthew's is spiritualized. Um, but on the other hand, each of Matthew's nine Beatitudes does make a good claim to go back to Jesus. So the, although we think that Luke's versions of the ones they have in common probably are a little closer to what we, thought we think Jesus said, all nine of the ones that Matthew has have a good claim to go back to historical Jesus. Uh, now, the question tends to fall on the last two. Some scholars would say, well, you know all those Beatitudes about being persecuted? Well, we know that the Christian believers were persecuted in the late first century. So maybe those are adapting the teaching of Jesus. Maybe the persecution was not something that Jesus' disciples went through. Maybe that's something that, that Matthew's church is going through. And it clearly it was. Um, but the question is, is this something only that Matthew dealt with? Or is it something that would have been true in the time of Jesus? Uh, there is evidence, multiple places in the gospel, that Jesus took a lot of heat, he took a lot of flack, and his disciples were persecuted. So the thought that he could actually make a beatitude sharing with them about their, their suffering for his sake uh, makes sense. And the persecution and beatitudes are found in all three versions. So Matthew, Luke, and Thomas all three contain Beatitudes about being persecuted. So that's another reason we think they'd probably go back to Jesus, um, even if they were given in a different setting. They don't fit the audience of the Sermon on the Mount. If the crowds are coming to hear him and to hear his teaching, um, a Beatitude about suffering probably is not what they would be needing to hear. This presupposes they've already responded to Jesus They've already become his followers. And it does fit the situation of the disciples who the disciples tell Jesus several times, we gave up everything for you. We left our homes. We left our families. We left our work. We left everything. Um, and unlike the other seven, the two persecuted attitude are directed to those who probably were the inner disciples of Jesus. Thomas has a persecution attitude, which is interesting. Uh, and again, it gives more credence to the fact that, that uh, we do not have any collection of Beatitudes that does not contain some of this. So it probably does go very back. Here's one in Thomas. Blessed are you when you are hated and persecuted, and no place will be found wherever you have been persecuted. Again, we go with the first one. And again, Thomas 69. Blessed are you when you've been persecuted. And it's interesting. This is the one that's psychologized, even in Thomas. Persecuted where? In your hearts. That's interesting. That reads like it could come right into Matthew, except Matthew does not have it. Um, now, based on the comparison, if you take Matthew and you take Luke and you take John, and for, for now we're going to leave out the other four Beatitudes uh, that are found elsewhere, uh, 
what you come up with is a, a kind of composite of Jesus saying, uh, this is the kind of people that are going to be blessed by God. So let's take a look at this. Who is blessed by God? The poor. We're going to strike Matthews in spirit. We're just going to go with Thomas and Luke. The poor, the hungry, the meek, those who mourn and weep, the pure in heart, the merciful, the peacemakers, and those who are persecuted for the sake of the kingdom. That's an interesting list to be blessed. If you were going to prepare a group of people that you think were blessed, would this be the list you'd come up with? Probably not. Uh, now, one of the questions is, are these all different groups of people? Or are all these same, are these different descriptions of the same group of people? Consensus is, this is all referring to one group. These are different qualities and characteristics of one group. It's not different groups of people who are out there. Uh, different qualities of the same group of people. Uh, this is the people. You just think about it for a second. Who would these people be in the first century Palestine? Probably not in Jerusalem. Probably not running the temple. Probably not the cream of society. But probably the kind of people that Jesus would be ming mingling with every single day in Galilee. And the vast bulk, bulk of people probably he would even then come to Jerusalem. Um, Jesus is saying if you have these qualities, if you're within, <coughs> you know, if, if this describes you, you are going, you are blessed by God. Each blessing has two parts, a present announcement, blessed are, and a future promise, they will. So Jesus sort of sets up the dynamic. If you have this, you shall this. If you're suffering now, you will be blessed by God. Um, and these are the blessings, comforted, filled, receive mercy, inherit the earth. I love the last one. Well, you'll laugh, you know. It's not a group you think of as la laughing a whole lot. Other blessings are not so much uh, things about your life, but are about dealing with God. Uh, they shall see God. They shall be called children of God. And they shall receive the kingdom of God. That's interesting. Just that, that this group both gets benefits for themselves and then they will also receive this. Matthew and Luke both add, in addition to these other blessings, there will also be a great reward in heaven. So some things happen to the, the people now as Jesus moves among them, and some things they will receive later. Their reward is great in heaven. Matter of fact, the reward of receiving the kingdom of God is so important, it's the only thing that's actually mentioned twice, the beginning and the end. So the Beatitudes open with an announcement of the gift of God's kingdom, and it closes with it sort of a balanced kind of presentation. Now, Beatitudes are not unique to Jesus. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know this. Uh, they are part of the Jewish Bible, and there are several of them, but we're just going to look at a couple. This is Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah would have lived 600 and something, about almost 700 years before Jesus. So this material has been around a long time. Blessed are those who thirst in the Lord. It's interesting because that's actually close to Matthew, isn't it? Yeah, it's not a literal. I'm sorry, trust, you're right. Get me glasses, yeah. Uh, who trust in the Lord. Again, no surprise there. Thirst would have been. Whose trust is in the Lord. That's that Hebraic repetition. Esdras, you read it every day? In your Catholic Bible? Yeah. 
Uh, Second Ezra is a, a wonderful book, also known as Fourth Ezra. Uh, some of these books have multiple names. Blessed are those who are alive. That's interesting. <laughs> Just <laughs> good to be here. Yeah. <laughs> and keep your commandments. Okay. And Esdras is probably written about the time of Jesus, maybe a little bit before. Uh, so again, the Beatitude is a traditional form, as parables were. We have parables in the Old Testament as well. So Jesus is walking around. He's using forms of literature that the people know. That they, what, what, but what's striking about it is not the way he does it. It's the content. Uh, he uses this to proclaim a radical new message. Uh, this values reversal lies at the very center of all this. Announcing God's kingdom will reverse the present situation. And announcing pretty consistently the exact opposite of what common sense would tell you. I don't know about you, but I don't see the Beatitudes being fulfilled much every day. Do you? At least not in a literal kind of sense. It seems our world operates in a very different kind of way. Blessed are the poor. Uh, and I think the appropriate response is really, you know. Tevye's famous comment, such a blessing it is, yeah. Uh, the woes, also traditional, particularly in the prophets and against. This reinforces they probably do come from Jesus. Jeremiah, woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness. By the way, Jeremiah and the latter part of Isaiah are the two parts of the Old Testament that Jesus seems to go to the most often in his upper rooms of justice. So, woe to the one who builds his house with unrighteousness. What's the business about upper rooms? Yeah. Yeah, and most people didn't have an upper room. Most people had one room if they were lucky. So if you have an upper room, yeah, you you can afford an add-on, okay? And th th in other words, if you build that, if you if you are able to advance yourself in life through injustice, and then righteousness, then woe to you. Typical prophet comment. Even more radical than the reversal of values and the blessings that God will bring is the announcement, and this is probably the most radical thing in the, uh, the Beatitudes, is the announcement that this is not apple pie in the sky by and by, <laughs> as my Baptist brethren used to say. Uh, this is not something down the road. This is not the kingdom coming at end time. It is a bold proclamation. Jesus is saying right here, Right now, as I stand before you, the kingdom is being manifested. It's coming at you, even as we speak. And that's, we know that from many aspects of his ministry. Um, it announces the kingdom is here and is breaking into the world now. What he's doing, what he's teaching, what he's saying, what he's, his actions, those things, in fact, manifest the kingdom. They bring the kingdom. One of the, one of the big debates in the Christian faith over the centuries has been when and where is the kingdom? Remember what Constantine said? The kingdom of this world, well, Revelation says it, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of God. So the idea was that the Roman Empire as a Christianized Roman Empire was in fact the kingdom of God here and now. Now there were many people who would beg to differ with that kind of thing. For some, the kingdom is when? After you die. For some, the kingdom is at the end of time when Jesus shall return or, you know, the, the, the first age passes away and the second age comes. What's striking about the teaching of Jesus uh, in many, many instances, especially here, is there's nothing future about that. Well, there's a little bit future. Mostly it's now. Jesus shows up in the village. Bam. 
kingdom of God is in that village, or at least the potential for the kingdom of God is in that village. It does depend on how you respond to it and whether you respond. But he arrives with this, yours. This is why he can say things like, yours is the kingdom of God. Another place he says, behold, the kingdom of God is among you. Another place he says, you are not far from the kingdom of God because it's not a location. It's not geographic. It's something else. And it seems to be what he's announcing. Beatitudes are going to give the content. Uh, Jesus reverses the idea of kingship. Do you remember what the, what the Jews in the first century, what did they want their king to do? Kick Rome out. You know, establish David's kingdom again. Give us independence. Bring the glory days back. And Jesus mar- comes into town and reverses all that. He's a servant, not a conqueror, which I'm sure led to a lot of disappointment. He's doing the same thing here. He now reverses the idea of the kingdom of God. Um, It is for the least, the last. It's a phrase Barbara likes to use. The least, the last, and the lost. That's who the kingdom of God is for, according to this. Um, And again, this is not something that's historical, at least in the sense it's not something that you and I can look here or look there and see it happening. And that's actually another statement that Jesus said. Rather, it's something that's called eschatological, which means it deals with God's will and God's will being manifested and our ability to respond to that. If I can hear the message of Jesus and if I can respond to it in an authentic way, God's kingdom begins to break in. God's kingdom begins to manifest itself. So that the future kind of breaks into the world. Now, the Sermon on the Mount... And the rest of it, the next three chapters that we're going to look at, basically is simply going to flesh out what the Beatitudes announce. The Beatitudes announce the kingdom of God is here. Well, what is the kingdom like? Well, Matthew's given us three chapters to kind of just roll with that, proclaim that. So we've just gotten a taste. We've just gotten an overview. And the basic idea is it's here, it's now, it's in the ministry of Jesus. Things are about to change. Uh, And that people who are in these situations are about to be blessed. Now, I want to spend a little time with this because I think it's real significant. If the teaching and the ministry of Jesus really stands out as being distinctly <laughs> different in this aspect from anybody else that's on the scene in the first century. The Beatitudes, if you look around, for example, in, in Jewish tradition, Jewish history, where would Jesus get the idea that gets manifested in the, the Beatitudes or in other teachings that he lays out? And it's interesting because at many, many places in his teaching, they all seem to go back to one place over and over again. And that one place seems to be uh, not a vision literally, but, but, but the, the content of Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. So I just want to look at that for a minute and then look at how some of the teaching of Jesus that falls into this. This is what Isaiah said. Isaiah 61, uh, the book of Isaiah has material in it both from before the exile during the exile and after the exile. 61 is part of 56 through 66. Probably this was written after the exile. The Jews have come back. The temple's been rebuilt. And here's a prophet speaking. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Now, where in the New Testament have you seen that? His first sermon? And the baptism narrative. The baptism narrative is clearly designed to be a fulfillment of this. 
because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me. Okay, great. What did he send you to? To bring good news. The word is not the same in Hebrew as the word blessed, but the meaning is the exact same thing. God has sent me to bless the oppressed, to give them good news, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of the vengeance of our God, justice, comfort all who mourn, provide for those who mourn. Sound familiar? In Zion, give them a garland instead of the ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of the faint spirit. Now, many scholars over the years have commented that if you take the Beatitudes and you take that passage from Isaiah, the similarities are striking. Everything that, that the prophet says that God is anointing him to do and to proclaim is put out there in the Beatitudes. Now, Jesus, and this is not just the Beatitudes. As a matter of fact, it's even more clear in some other places. Jesus repeatedly, when people push him back and say, Jesus, you know, by what authority you do this or what are you about or, you know, what, what are you trying to accomplish? Jesus always goes back to this passage. Uh, do you remember Luke 4, the first sermon Jesus ever preached? And then and, and Luke. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. We don't know either if it's like a lectionary that Jesus has selected this day because this day, like in a synagogue today, a particular passage would be read, or does he have the freedom to take it, roll it out to where he wants and read? Could be either way. We don't know. Clearly, the idea is Jesus knows what's about to be read. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written. Sound familiar? Isaiah 61, verse 1. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight of the blind, let the press go free, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. All eyes in the synagogue are fixed on him. Hometown boy, come home. You just get the tension here, you know. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In the Gospel of Luke, this passage is basically Jesus's presentation of who he is, what he is, and what he's about. He's come to fulfill Isaiah 61. Another story. We're not, no, we're not Luke this time, I don't think. Uh, Matthew 12. John the Baptist was in prison, about to be beheaded. Uh, he heard stories. His disciples are coming to him, what, uh, disciples of John, what the Messiah was doing. He sent word to his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or are we to wait to another? That's a peculiar question. I thought he said you are the son of God. You know. Well, if you're in prison and you know you're about to die, is that a good opportunity for some second thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, let's just be real clear here what we're doing, okay? <laughs> Jesus answered, go and tell John what you see, what you hear and see. What do you hear and see? The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and most importantly all, the poor have good news brought to them. Jesus goes back to this passage again and again and again. Blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. Passage in 61 also seems to be behind the story of the baptism. 
at least the way the baptism story is told. Uh, I mean, you hear those words, and in some of the Gospels, it's almost like it's quoted that's being fulfilled there. Again, Jesus returns again and again to 61. In 61, Isaiah 61 has the same audience, the same message, the same imagery, and the same timeline as the Beatitudes. Do you think it's coincidental or accidental? Or has Matthew, in fact, done us a, 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 a blessing by organizing this material together? I'm guessing Jesus probably taught this stuff in many settings, many places, but he's brought it together so that we understand this. As an introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, it basically says, this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus is saying. This is what Jesus is teaching. Do you think he got it right? Based on other passages, I would say, Matthew got it right. We open then with a bold and radical proclamation. The kingdom of God is here. The earliest gospel, Mark, makes the exact same statement. The kingdom is breaking into the world. It is breaking into Jesus in his ministry, and it's going to turn the world upside down. And those who are open, who respond, will be, in fact, are, present tense, blessed. With the kingdom and all that it holds. So next week, we're just going to back up, go through again, but this time, let's look at each of the individual Beatitudes in terms of what they're trying to say. Sound like fun? Mm -hmm. And then there'll be more after.